When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where we take what's happening in the world today and try to give some answers from Holy Scripture and from church tradition and a lot of other stuff too. Thanks for joining. There is a period of 40 years where the Philistines have overrun Israel. The origin of the Philistines is a mystery in the Bible. There is a mention of them much earlier, um, but it's probably anachronistic. In other words, reading in a little foreshadowing into the story in Genesis of a later group of people that lives there. Philistines are often called the Sea Peoples. They are marked by a couple different things, uh, one being their use of steel weaponry. Steel is iron ore that is smelted combined with some other metals uh, to make a really, really hard and flexible metal that can be used for weaponry that is far superior to iron and to the less sturdy bronze, but has the flexibility of bronze and brass and the um, hardness and heaviness of iron. And that's really what the Philistines are bringing to the shores of this land where uh, the followers of the people of God have settled in this land of Canaan or Canaanite land or however you call it, um, this land gets called a lot of different things. And these Philistines occupy the coastal cities of Gaza um, and other Ashkelon and other cities that are still there today as places where people live. And they seem to have some connection to the larger Mediterranean world. Um, Some people put their origins in Greece. Some put their origins in... um, Crete and places like that. Around the same time, you have a lot of Greek legends and Cretan legends um, being born or being at least written down. Books like the Iliad, the Odyssey. Um, And so the Sea Peoples are more like those guys than they are like the Canaanites and Egyptians and Israelites that live in this land. And they arrive and are immediately vastly superior to all the people around them, even the Canaanites. The Canaanites eventually start to ally themselves against the Philistines, who seem to be pretty much unstoppable. The Philistines are marked, um, unlike the Canaanites and unlike the Egyptians, they are marked by not being circumcised. In many ways, the Canaanites are European people. Uh, the sea sea peoples from Crete, Greece, and places like that. Circumcision is not a practice in in that part of the world. And so they're often called in the Bible the uncircumcised, um, just as a people group. Um, In fact, in the story of David and Goliath, where David faces a Philistine named Goliath, um, the term uncircumcised is thrown around a lot. Um, 
as a as an insult, but also as a characterization of um, of what the Philistines, how different they are from the people of God. The Philistines have a lasting effect on this land and people group. Um, eventually, it is their name that the Romans call this area of the world, which uh, we would pronounce as Palestine today. So if you talk about Palestine or Palestinians, um, that is an echo and a homage to the sea peoples called the Philistines here. Philistine, and it's not really used in modern English very much, but Philistine is also used in English to mean someone that's kind of backwards or set in their ways or a Luddite or something, someone that isn't real, isn't progressing technologically very well, which is always weird to me because, or is culturally inept, isn't into opera or orchestra or something like that. A Philistine, someone who's not into the fine arts or doesn't really care for them. And um, it's always surprising to me because the Philistine people probably had a lot more fine art than the peoples that they are invading and were probably a lot more uh, cosmopolitan in every sense of that word than the people that that, um, lived in the land of Canaan at the time. But you can see their lasting effect on even our imagination. And here they are holding sway over the people of God. It doesn't say that the people cry out. Um, It just says that a baby was born, an angel appears, an angel of the Lord, an angel of Yahweh appears. Again, we can see this birth narrative announcement um, happening where a woman is visited by an angel and is told that you're going to have a baby that's going to save everybody. Um, This is really most uh, famous in the story of Mary, but many other stories have this same kind of theme uh, in it, that this child will, um, will do great things for God, but this child must be set apart in the vow of the Nazarite. Nazarites are different from people that live in Nazareth. Jesus is a, from Nazareth, because that's where his mother is from. But uh, Nazarite does not mean from Nazareth, though the words may have some, some uh, overlap in some ways. But the Nazarite vow um, was a way to um, set somebody apart, either set themselves apart um, or to um, be set apart from birth. So the, his mother is not to drink any wine or um, any beer. That's the word strong drink in the Bible is beer. It's a wheat beer. There were no hops in those days and so no IPAs, but wheat beer was very much a part of the staple diet of the people, ancient people in Egypt, in, in Canaan, and Israelites. And not supposed to eat anything unclean. Well, that goes without saying. We should work on that. But that shows you how um, these dietary laws that are set out in the laws of Moses were not completely followed all the time. Um, And also that no razor shall come to his head. He's not ever supposed to cut his hair. So his really long dreadlocks, hair that is not cut, never cut. If you never cut your hair, um, it does some amazing things. And it will be very visible to people from a great distance that you are a Nazarite. And so this is how God will deliver God's people. And 
it really shocks everybody and they repeat the same thing the angel says several times in this little tiny story. Um, they change the details almost every time they repeat the announcement of the angel. Just little bits. They tweak it a little bit to kind of emphasize certain parts of the thing that they're supposed to do. But she goes and tells her husband, and, and this is how God is going to save God's people through this birth announcement. God never saves anybody with anything big or cataclysmic or earth-shaking or uh, there's no tornadoes or um, ultimately that God uses to, to save people. God uses that soft whispering voice, the quietness of this baby's birth um, and conception. The announcement is quiet. Only one person hears it. And the, the deliverance is going to be this helpless baby that's going to grow up um, and become strong and deliver God's people. But it's going to take a long time. Perhaps the seed of our deliverance, the seed of our freedom, of our victory um, over the, the obstacles in our life has yet to be born. Or maybe it's being born now, or maybe it was born a couple years ago, but you just can't see it because it's not significant. It's not big enough to see. That's how God works, through little things, through babies, through very small things that no one will notice. Lots of babies were born in the land of Canaan in that year, thousands, maybe more. And yet there was this one that God had said, I'm going to do something really special with this one. And not just for their own sake. This isn't to really bless the family or anything. This is really to deliver God's people. God works in small ways and God works slowly, but God is always at work. Amen. Today, the church remembers Herman of Alaska. Herman of Alaska. He's known in the Russian Orthodox Church as St. Herman, wonder worker of all America. He was the first saint to be canonized by the Orthodox Church in America, the OCA. Herman was born in Russia near Moscow in 1756. Um, his baptismal and family names are unknown. We don't know much about him. So he wasn't from a wealthy family or one that would have entered into the public record, but became known by his monastic name that he took when he took his monastic vows. He was naturally drawn to the faith at an early age. He entered the Trinity St. Sergius Hermitage near St. Petersburg at 16 and drawn to the spiritual charism of Abbot Nasarios, eventually transferred to the Vala Monastery. He was never ordained, as many um, monks are not, and for many years he secured permission to live as a hermit, attending the liturgies of the monasteries only on holy days. In 1793, with a small group of colleagues, Herman set out to do missionary work in Alaska. Um, at this time, Alaska is a part of the Russian Empire. Um, they settled on Spruce Island near Kodiak and named their community New Vallum in honor of their home monastery. Herman lived and worked in the area for the remainder of his life. He advocated for and defended the native Aleut, Aleut against sometimes oppressive authorities, particularly Russian and European colonists with lots of commercial interests. He cared lovingly and sacrificially for all who came to him, counseling and teaching them, and tirelessly nursing the sick. 
He especially loved the children who lived there and often made them biscuits and cookies. Even though Herman had minimal education outside the monastic life, he was regarded among the native Alaskans as a great and compelling teacher. Over time, he also developed a reputation as a teacher and sage among the Russian and European settlers in the areas. He so captivated his listeners that many would listen to him through the long hours of the night but not leave his company until morning. The people he served often referred to Herman as their North Star. Herman died at Spruce Island, December 25th, 1837, according to the Gregorian calendar that was still being used in Alaska. In 1969, the Synod of Bishops of the Orthodox Church in America proclaimed Herman a saint. He was glorified in the solemn liturgy on August 9th, 1970, at Holy Resurrection Orthodox Cathedral on Kodiak Island, Alaska, with simultaneous rites taking place at other Orthodox centers. We thank God for Herman, and uh, we think of our Orthodox sisters and brothers and siblings that live near us here in this community and around the United States, and also for the indigenous peoples of Alaska, the Iliwit, and others who live there. Um, thankful for this work of connection with them. We go to Alaska today, you will see um, these old Orthodox churches that were there before Alaska was uh, purchased from the Russian Empire by the United States government, and that legacy is still very strong there as Christianity keeps going, even when the national borders um, change. Holy God, we bless your name for Herman, joyful North Star of Christ Church, who brought the good news of Christ's love to your people in Alaska. We pray that following his example and admonition, we may love you, God, above all, through Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns throughout all ages. Amen. Pray a colic for mission. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Grant the people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.